I have this old history book at home, um, and actually it belongs to my older siblings, so then I say it's a really old history book, okay? Um, and it, it's really not a history book, though, is it? It's something that they had from, from high school, but it's really a book about other books from history, right? This old book that I had, and I was going to bring it today, and I went and forgot. That's old there, too. And so um, this, this old book, though, is not, not, not one thing that they write about where they an eyewitness to. But they're writing from other sources. Other authors had written books of history. They went back and looked at all of those multiple sources and those eyewitnesses' accounts, and they merged them together and filtered through them through the context of current language and the current purpose and what they're trying to convey, and they put that all together in what we call now a history book. But most history books don't have anybody who is an eyewitness to what they wrote about. They went and they found all these sources and pulled them back together and analyzed them and processed them and then wrote something new. This is sort of where we find ourselves in First Chronicles. Originally, as the video said, First and Second Chronicles were one unit, but simply because of scroll length, it was divided into two parts. And as you read it, and maybe you've been reading along in the thread and trying to read through each of these books before we preach them uh, on a Sunday, and we've been challenging you to do that, and I encourage you, if you haven't, to start today and see if you can get, uh, start with Second Chronicles and read through that for next week. But as you read through First and Second Chronicles, you might feel like you're having deja vu. Haven't I just read this before? It's found at the end of the Hebrew Bible, First Chronicles is, and Second Chronicles, but it's a retelling of some of the history, and, and as the video said, it focuses primarily on David and his royal line. And so it's a retelling of some of the things from Samuel and the kings. And so once you read it, you're like, man, I think I just read that before. But they're taking those stories, and they're taking select parts of those stories um, to convey some history to the people of Israel. It's very interesting. In First Chronicles, it starts with Adam, and there's a long genealogy starting with Adam that leads all the way up to David and then his descendants. And Second Chronicles ends with the king of Persia telling the exiles that they're going to get to return home and rebuild the temple. And so while Samuel and kings are going to focus on the political and religious history of Israel, First Chronicles was going to focus on the temple, and First Chronicles is going to focus on the ideal king, the prototype the one who God intended to rule over his people. Now, for those of you who haven't been with us in the thread, I'm just going to catch you up just really real quick. But God has made some promises, and he made some promises to Abraham that he was going to bless the whole world through Abraham's offspring. And what, would, what happened is that the people would go up and down in this cycle of following God and, and being what he intended them to be to, to bless the nations, and then their rebellion in which they turn away and do their own thing. And then he'd have to do certain things to discipline them and bring them back. But now we finally have this king. This king who is actually focusing on the Lord and actually doing things the way that God intended for a king to do them, for his people to do them. Now here's what's hard for us, is that David is not a perfect king. But here's one of the things that David does do super well. And Chronicles focuses on these parts. 1 Samuel shows us all the truth of David and all the places that he fell and the fault and the sin that he had in his life. And that's important because it tells us that the Bible doesn't try to clean things up so that we can have a good perspective of the characters of the Bible. Because it's really about the God of the Bible, not the characters of the Bible, right? But here's David who's got all these flaws, but here's some places where he was the prototype, where he was the king that God desired to have over his people. While not perfect, 
He never drew people away from worshiping the true God. While flawed, he still desired to always worship the God of Israel alone. He did not worship other gods like so many of the other kings did. He was a king who desired to do the will of God. He was a king who relied on God's wisdom. He was a king who desired to follow God's law, even though he broke it at times. His heart's desire was to be faithful to God. He was a king who was a man after God's own heart, the Bible says. A king whose descendant would be the perfect king, the perfect and righteous King Jesus would come from his lineage. But I wanted to paint that picture and remind us that as often as we look at David, it's easy for us to look at some of the flaws and the sins that he committed and they were grievous, and, but yet he repented and God forgave him. We forget sometimes to see that for a while they had a king who was totally focused on Yahweh, who was totally focused on the one true God, not off chasing after other gods of the people around them. No idol worship in his time. He was taking care of all of that. Here was the king who had desired to honor and glorify God, even though he was imperfect, even though he failed. And now we're coming to the end of his life. And this is what we find in 1 Chronicles 28. And 28 and 29, there's a lot there, so we're going to just take uh, some snippets out of it and look at those and talk about them a little bit. And my prayer is that I can pull it all together at the end. It's been a challenging week because um, this, pa- this passage is a challenging passage to pull it all together because there's two chapters with a lot of good content. But we're only going to take parts of it. And, and we're going to focus on who David is and how God is working through David. Okay, so here's First Chronicles 28, chapter 2. David coming to the end of his life. 28, verse 2. David assembled at Jerusalem all the officials of Israel, the officials of the tribes, the officers of the divisions that served the king, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, the stewards of all the property and livestock of the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the mighty men, and all seasoned warriors. Then King David rose to his feet, and you have to have this picture. He's an old man, he, he, he's, and this is a dramatic picture to see him rising to his feet, and he says, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God, and I made preparations for building. He wanted to build God a temple. But God said to me, You may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. Yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from all my father's house to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as leader, and in the house of Judah, my father's house, and among my father's sons, he took pleasure in me to make me king over Israel. And all of my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, it is Solomon, your son, who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father." I will establish his kingdom forever if he continues strong and keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today. Now, therefore, in the sight of all of Israel, the assembly of the Lord and the hearing of our God, observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and have served and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house 
for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. David's not allowed to do this good thing that he wanted to do. He wanted to build the temple, but God said no. He reminds Israel that he, David, this is important, and this will be something we'll see throughout the rest of the thread, that he, David, has been chosen, and the house of Judah has been chosen. The idea of David being chosen and the house of Judah being chosen is this theme that we're going to see that Jesus comes as the line of the tribe of Judah, as a descendant of David. And God makes this promise to him. And in and, and First Chronicles, we're going to step back for, in, in chapter 17, he makes this promise to David that there will be someone for all of eternity on his throne. It's an eternal promise. Let me read First Chronicles 17, 11 through 14. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up offspring after you, and one of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love for him as I took it from him who was before you, which was King Saul. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. It's an eternal promise that God is making that someone from his throne, from the lineage of David, will be on the throne for all of eternity. But David is reminding him, he says, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord. This was important and, and, and very carefully chosen by David, the words that he's speaking, inspired by the Lord, because these are in the scriptures and inspired words. He tells them to be careful and, and to watch over things carefully in the sense that they were to regard the responsibility as important and worthy of attention. They shouldn't be doing it recklessly. They were exhorted to seek out the commands of God, to search the scriptures diligently. They were exhorted to seek out all the commandments and, and not to compromise, as one commentator mentioned. He said, not to, not to seek out and find the ones that you like to follow and ignore the ones that are hard for you to follow. We're to be seeking God's commands and then desire to follow and, and be obedient to him. And then I love this part. He, he says, if you seek him, he will be found. Listen, God wants you to find him. God wants you to know him. He's left clues everywhere. Romans 1 tells us he's given us nature. We should be able to look out at a great lake like that and go, wow, there was a creator that just spoke and all that came into being. So He's revealed himself and given us clues all over. Nature is one of them. He's given us his word. How much more could we ask for? He said, for 2,000 years, or more or longer than that with the Old Testament, I'm going to preserve my word so that you can know me. I, I want you to find me. Then he sent his son so we could see him in the flesh. The good news about God is he wants to be found. I asked Taylor if I could share this story with you today, an example from, from their son Solomon. If you're new here, Solomon, what, what's Solomon? Three now? Three and a half, coming up on four. All right? So when they play hide and seek, Solomon likes to tell mom where he's going to hide so she can find him. <laughs> says, mom, I'm going to hide over here so you can find me. All right? <laughs> And I only found that out because they're up in the nursery they were playing hide-and-seek, and he did that when my wife was in the nursery. <laughs> I'm going to hide over here so you can find me. <laughs> right? That's God. He's not trying to hide so you can't find him. He's saying, here I am. Here I am. And I'm going to reveal myself through the world that I create. I'm going to reveal myself through the Word. I'm going to reveal myself through the Son. I'm going to reveal myself through the Spirit. You've got all you need to find him. All we've got to do is what? 
look. And he says, if you look, you're going to find me. He's hiding in plain sight, just waiting for you and I to look for him. And then he tells his people and tells Solomon, you have to do this with your whole heart and with a willing mind. It's got to be something you're dedicated to and desiring, and with a willing mind, meaning that your mind is open to what you're going to encounter when you're searching and finding God. Because sometimes you'll encounter and find things that are hard, and they make you wrestle with things in your life, and, and you're not sure if you want to be obedient to this or to follow this or to think like this. But God's saying, if you look for me, I will reshape everything, including your mind, including your heart, including your will. Everything will be changed. But he warns them too, and we can't soft-pedal the warnings of Scripture either. And he warns them, if you don't seek him, he will cast you off. So there is a warning this morning, and I'm not going to sugarcoat that because it's right there in the Scripture, so I can't do anything other than just declare what it says. So he says, be careful in how you think and live and what you seek, because if you don't seek him with open mind and heart and will and with all of your desire to know then if you'll go another direction, and he will cast you off. So he warns them, and he, he's warning his son, and he's warning his people. And then we're going to jump forward to chapter 28, verses 20 and 21. Then David said to Solomon, his son, after giving him that exhortation and warning, he's going to give him more. He says, be strong and courageous and do it. I think there's a Nike commercial like that, isn't there? <laughs> Just do it. Be strong and courageous and do it. Don't be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. And behold, the divisions of priests and Levites for all the services of the house of God and with you and all the work will be every willing man who has skill for any kind of service. Also the officers and all the people will be wholly at your command. He's telling him now, i got this big thing for you to do, and it's not a little thing. So what you need to do now is to be strong. You need to stand firm. And sometimes you're going to have to be courageous and push through to do what you've been commissioned to do. It's not always easy. And he's telling Solomon, in order to do what you've been commissioned to do, to build this house and then to lead this people to be obedient and faithful to God, you're going to have to be strong and you're going to have to be at times courageous. And he tells him, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Now it would be one thing if he just stopped there and just said, do all this. Be strong, courageous, do not be dis afraid, do not be dismayed. But then he goes on to tell him why. And this is what's always so great about the scriptures. Scripture doesn't tell us to do stuff without telling us how we're going to do it. He says, why? Because the Lord God is with you. It's the Lord who's going to make you strong. It's the Lord who's going to make you courageous. It's the Lord who's going to help you to fulfill the commission he's called you to do. It's the Lord who's going to help you to not be afraid or dismayed. If you don't have the Lord, don't be strong and courageous, and you better be afraid, and you can be dismayed because there's no one there to help you. But if you have the Lord, you have all of the support and all that you need to help you and all that you need to do. And then he says, and he'll be with you until the job is finished. I'm going to just jump forward into the New Testament a moment and just think about that, that he is with us till the job is finished. What's my job is to walk faithfully with Jesus till the end. And the good news for me is that he's going to do that. <laughs> 
He's going to walk faithfully with me to the end. He will finish the work that he began in me, Paul says. He's going to do the work. And then the other beautiful part of verses 20 and 21 is he says, not only is God going to be there with you, but people are going to be there with you. You don't have to do this job alone. You're not going to finish it alone. You won't be able to do it alone. God will be with you, and his people will be with you as well. And, and David says, I've, I've got these people that I've put together to help you to be successful. It's this beautiful picture where David is setting up Solomon for success. And he says, here's how I'm going to do it. Uh, you've got to trust and rely on the Lord, and then I've got this group of people that are coming around you with skill and with wisdom and knowledge that are going to help you. So David's saying, listen to the Lord. And then I've done everything I can do to give you all the resources that you need to be successful. It's interesting to me that David just doesn't just exhort him and say, just get this job done, good luck to you. He exhorts him and then he puts all the resources in place to help him to accomplish it. He re uses the resources that are available to help him. And I think sometimes as Christians, it can be easy for us to admonish people and kind of come t towards people and say, hey, change and work on this without coming alongside with any kind of support and help that says, here's how we're going to do this together. So I just want to remind us and encourage us that we're supposed to be walking this journey together because it gets hard sometimes and there's challenges and it's supposed to be me and the Lord, but me and the Lord and you together doing this. When I was younger, I used to think it was more spiritual just to be me and the Lord, right? Because doesn't that sound like, yeah, just me and the Lord grinding it out and it took a while for God to kind of soften my heart to see the importance of community. Because I thought it was more spiritual if just God and I were doing this thing. And God's saying, you can't do, the way that I have you do this thing is to be in a community of people to help come alongside and help you to do this. So essentially, David is saying to Solomon, to do all these things that you're being called to do, you're going to need God's help and you're going to need God's people around you. And as we do that together, we're going to succeed and be able to accomplish what God's purpose is. And then if we jump ahead to chapter 29, verses 10 through 13, then we're going to see this beautiful picture of what David says to, to everyone as he's praising the Lord. And he's going to be praising the Lord as they watch and listen. And it says here that after all this commissioning and all this discussion and all this telling Solomon, you're the guy that's going to build this temple and I'm turning the kingdom over to you and he's doing this in front of all the people. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. 29.10 And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on the earth, and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Man, I could just sit down after that, couldn't I? Blessed are you, Lord, the God of Israel. Blessed our Father forever and ever. You're going to be blessed forever and ever because you're God. And this is one of the earlier places that we see him talking to God as Father. Isn't that a great picture? You're not just God the King, you're God my Father. And just as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, 
our Father. They think that this is one of the passages he was looking back on and drawing from as he taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6. But just look at it. Yours is the greatness. There's nobody greater. Yours is the power. There's nobody more powerful. Yours is the glory. There's nobody more glorious. Yours is the victory. There's nobody who will have more victory. Yours is the majesty. There's nothing in the world, in the universe, more majestic than God. And heaven and earth belong to who? Politicians? People with power? The media? No, man. It belongs to God. And sometimes I feel like I live like it belongs to somebody else. Or I worry like it belongs to somebody else. Or I fret like it belongs to somebody else. Heaven and earth belong to God. I always say I'm a preacher of good news, guys. I can't give you better news than this today, that he is the greatest, he is the most powerful, the most glorious, he is the victorious majesty. Heaven and earth belong to him. And because of all that, the Lord is exalted and his kingdom is above all others. And you and I get to be a part of that. You and I get to be a part of that kingdom. And it's greater than all other kingdoms. And it says you rule over everything. And you use your power and might. He rules over everything. Let me just say that again. He rules over what? Everything. <laughs> There's nothing that he's not ruling over. Sometimes it feels to me like things are out of control. God is like, I got this. He rules over everything and he uses his power and might. He is not like some people think that he's a God who's far off, that he's just st started the world spinning and he's just watching it and said, well, I'll see how it all ends, how it all turns out. Good luck to you all. That's not how the Bible teaches it. He rules, and he uses his power and might to make great and to give strength. God wants you to find him so that he can give you all of this, that he can give you strength, that he can give you all that his kingdom has for his children. That's why he wants you to find him, because he's got great blessings for you and I. He's got great gifts for you and I. And some of those gifts are to have strength to endure through hard things. It does not mean that there won't be hard things. But it means that he has power and strength to help you endure through hard things. He has power and strength to be able to say to you and I, and here's the best news I'm going to give you today, he has the power and strength able to say to you and I, your sins are forgiven now and forevermore. The one who has all authority in heaven and earth and has that power and is greater than all things. He's greater than even our sin, and he can wash it away. And when he washes it away, it's washed away. That's the good news. And he uses that power and might, and that's why he wants us to find him. So that power and might can be working in our lives, changing us into the image of Jesus, bringing us to great places of freedom, not carrying the guilt and the shame and the burdens of our sin, or any other things that have happened in our lives, we can be free from all of that through the power of this great God. And then in chapter 29, verses 18 through 19, this is how this is connected to the thread. He says, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, your statutes, performing all that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. He's connecting it to the promise that God made way back to Abraham in Genesis. And he said, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who's been faithful to the promise and brought us to this land, 
And he's asking that same God to be faithful to his son Solomon and helping Solomon to be obedient. David knows that on his own Solomon is going to go astray, but he's praying that God would help him keep his heart from straying. And then verse 20, it says, Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the, homage to the Lord and to the king. They worshipped and blessed the Lord for all that he had done. And if you've been with us through this series, you have seen places where they did just the opposite and done such horrific things. This is a beautiful picture where God's rule and reign was coming upon them, and they just blessed the Lord. There's no idols that they're worshiping. There's no judges that are chopping people up and doing all the things that was happening and judges that was so messy. There's no people rebelling in the wilderness. There's just people right here worshiping and blessing the Lord for all that he has done. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. Verse 22. And they made Solomon the son of David the king the second time, and they anointed him as prince for the Lord and Zadok the pri as priest. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in place of David his father, and he prospered, and all Israel obeyed him. All the leaders and the mighty men and also all the sons of King David pledged their allegiance to King Solomon. And the Lord made Solomon very great in the sight of all of Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. They celebrated and they rejoiced. And one of the things we wanted to do in this sermon today, and meaning on both campuses, is to remind us there are times for us to celebrate. And we call it the discipline of celebration. And if you came from a good heritage like I did, you know, you didn't celebrate too much because if you celebrated, God might have to humble you, okay, and then do something hard to humble you. That's not what the Bible teaches. Hey, if something good's happening in your life, I invite you to celebrate that and to tell other people. I invite you to say, look what God has done. All three of my, my, my wife's pregnancies had complications. And so when those babies were born into the world healthy and okay, do you think I want to say, I better not celebrate too much because you know, I want to tell everybody, look what God did. They made it here safe. They made it here okay. We celebrated that. You have something that God is doing in your life and blessing you, you celebrate it. The people celebrated what God had done here in this passage. And they rejoiced in what God had done. And then verses 26 through 30, it says, Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all of Israel. The time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Then he died at a good age, full of days, riches, and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. Now the acts of King David from first to last are written in the chronicles of Samuel the seer and in the chronicles of Nathan the prophet and the chronicles of Gad the seer with accounts of all his rule and his might and the circumstances that came upon him and upon Israel and upon all the kingdoms of the country. So he dies in this good old age, full of days and riches and honor, and he was the great king, and his greatness, especially seen through the lenses of the New Testament, was to connect us to the Messiah. The one great title that Jesus will have in the New Testament, one of the great titles is the son of David. He's the son of David in the People of Israel at the time would go, whoa, that's right, the Messiah was supposed to come from the lineage of David. And in his greatness, we're supposed to be able to see the prototype of a king that was going to come that was going to be perfect, because we know David wasn't perfect. But here was this king who was seeking after God's heart. And there would be one day a king that would come that would be God himself 
and would perfectly follow the will of God in his life. So what are we going to do with this? How do I pull this together with some sort of application today? Here's how I'd like to pull it together. First, don't let the disappointment of God saying no to something you want to do that is good turn into bitterness. Let's go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 28. God said no to something David wanted to do that was good. David wanted to build a temple. It was a good thing. God said no. Sometimes that can turn into bitterness for people, and David didn't do that. David just let God say no. It's hard for us to hear God say no sometimes. Don't let that disappointment turn you away from God. Have that disappointment go, okay, God, that's what you say. What do you have for me next? Second application, God wants to be found by you. I pray and hope that you're looking for God. I pray that you're seeking for him. Because when you seek for him, he'll say, I'm right over here. (laughs) Okay? Just like Solomon. Telling mom, I'm right over here. God has made all kinds of ways for us to know him. And if you seek him, you will find him. And he wants to be found. I want to encourage us to generously use the gifts and resources that God has given us to help others succeed in what God's called them to do. One of the things David had to do was use his resources to help Solomon to be successful. And so instead of being upset that he didn't get to do the temple, he said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to put you in a place where you can build this temple. Then I want to challenge us to celebrate when the Lord blesses us. When good things happen, we need to be, of all people, people of celebration. I was just at the Mercy Me concert the other night, and one of the things that just struck me, it was just joyful. People were happy. People were smiling. I was standing at one of the doors passing stuff out, and they were coming in, and they were smiling. I'm like, man, this feels so good because it feels like, one, we haven't seen people smile for a while because our faces are covered. And two, we just haven't been in gatherings where we can see people and celebrate. And I just want to encourage us, we of all people should be people of celebration. That's why I wanted to point out Adam and Lexi today. That's something to celebrate. Body of Christ. Celebrate these things. New babies that have come into the world. Celebrate. We of all people should be people of celebration. But the most important connection in all of this passage this morning is that from the lineage of this great king will be the greatest king, King Jesus. The most important thing, if you don't remember anything else today, that you would hold on to that part of the thread, that this king, this king who is following God's will and desiring to honor and glorify God, from his lineage would come one who would perfectly do that. And so if you turn your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 1, you would read this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David the son of Abraham. You see, there is one coming from this line that is going to be the perfect one who will perfectly follow the will of the Father, who will perfectly do all that God asks him to do, including dying on the cross and being raised again from the dead that we just celebrated last week. But don't forget that on that dying on the cross, my sin and your sin was placed on Jesus. The wrath of God was poured on Jesus. His righteousness was poured back into us. This one who will sit on the throne forever and ever, keeping the promise that God made to David, being fulfilled in Jesus, and you and I getting the great benefit of our sins being forgiven, receiving the righteousness of Jesus. So now, when I stand before God, and I know this sounds, people might think it sounds a little too bold, but that's all I got is to hold on to this. I stand before God as one who has the righteousness of Jesus. 
Not because of anything I've done, because of everything that Jesus has done. And by faith in him, he's poured his righteousness in me. And so when God sees me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Like King David, I stumble and bumble and fall and sin. Jesus keeps pulling me back up and says, but my righteousness, that's what I see in you. Not all that other stuff. I see my righteousness in you. Good news today. There's a king, a great king, perfect king, King Jesus, but he's also a king that humbled himself to die on a cross so that you and I could have life. Forgiveness of sin, eternal life. I can't give you better news than that today. Amen? I'm going to invite you just to bow your heads and just take a moment. And Would you listen to what Jesus might be saying to you this morning through the power of his spirit? When we preach his word, we pray that his spirit will help us 